This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 82 of the Equalizer podcast. It is NWSL Championship weekend, and for the second consecutive year, the North Carolina Courage are your NWSL champions. And for the second year in a row, it was a tour de force in the final. I'm Dan Lawletta. John Halloran is here. We were on site for the game. Chelsea Bush will come in with the on-television angle. And, uh, John, I'll start with you since you were there. Um, I... I, you just got the feeling when the Courage scored the first goal that it could be a long day for the Red Stars, and that's exactly how it played out. I think the only compelling thing about this game for me is just how good the Courage were. The actual game itself was not compelling at all to me. Yeah, I mean, they listen, they ran Chicago over, and it happened early, you know, and, and there were moments where Chicago had the ball and, and was able to put together some combinations, but it, it it really didn't matter because they weren't able to generate too many dangerous combinations. And when the courage broke, they broke hard and fast and they came often right up the gut and just put Chicago under a, a tremendous amount of pressure. Dabinia was everywhere. McDonald and Williams were running with pace and it just made uh, it made for a long day for Chicago. I think the thing that I took away from this, which I, I suppose we knew, we've seen it before with, uh, you know, North Carolina's win over Portland this year. But when they need it, North Carolina has another gear. And when they hit that gear, there's nobody in the league that can even stay close. Yeah, I agree with that 100 percent. Chelsea, um, watching on TV, sometimes I think you can get a different perspective on television, especially if the commentary is trying to convince you that the game's not over. So when did you feel, watching it at home, that it was over? Um, I mean, I kind of had the same sense as you, you know, when they scored that first goal, just because it's the courage, and usually when they score one, the floodgates tend to open, and that's it's not like they score early and then go the rest of the game without scoring. It's just not something that they do. So, but I would say by the second goal, I think for me was, was when I was like, okay, this is, this is a long road for, for anyone to come back from against the courage in a championship game. Um, I do think the red stars looked better in the second half, but not enough to really make a difference. And by that point in time that the ship had really sailed. Tierney Davidson, obviously a factor because I did not think Naughton played a really good game, but um, I think we would probably all agree that even if Davidson was in there, a negligible difference just based on how the overall match went. Leshy maybe would have prevented the first one, and then you've got a chance at 0-0 to maybe break on top, but I didn't think that was a big factor in the game. John? Uh, maybe. You know, I, I'll tell you what. I, I think if they had had 
Tierna, at least from what I have heard, there is a distinct possibility we see Chicago set up, you know, in a three or a five back and try something different. And so maybe it's a different game because of that. But honestly, if they had done that, I would have struggled to understand it because you had this team heading in on a six game winning streak and it just wouldn't have seemed to make a lot of sense. The thing that I cannot wrap my head around, and I just wrote about this um, on, on Equalizer, so that, that piece is up there. I can't understand why nobody has decided that North Carolina is the team to beat and gone into a season uh, adapting or uh, their own style or adopting the Courage's style and trying to match it in some fashion because obviously what the teams in the league are trying to do to stop them does not work. And they try to adapt strategies for one game. And when you do that, your players are being asked to do things that they're not normally being asked to do. And they struggle to bring that in uh, for just one game because it's not something that's been drilled into them over the course of the season. I really am waiting for someone to come in and say, we're going to play a five back and we're going to play it all year just to get to this game and give the courage a run for their money. Or we're going to try to do a diamond midfield and we're going to do it all year just to get to this game. And nobody seems to have taken that step. And I, I can't fathom why, because the courage are sitting here in their fourth championship game and they kill everybody. And nobody is saying this is the team to beat. They're more worried about getting there than than getting past North Carolina. That's a very well stated point. I think. What would you do? I mean, you know, if you could get any personnel you wanted around the league, what would what do you think tactically would be the best um, method of beating them if you had the right players? I think you got to play a five three two. I think you know, and you could call it a three five two. I mean, it's adaptable, and that's you know, you could run it as a three five two against most teams in the league. And then just drop your wing backs, you know, a little further back and call it a 5-3-2. But if you do that, if you play three in the middle, you have an ability to pick up the third runner. And that's where the courage kill you is when they bring when Dabinia or Dunn comes through the middle right after Williams or McDonald has dragged the play wide is where you get in trouble. And if you have that third center back. You can pick up that extra runner. And then if you put two holding mids in front of them, you know, you can pick up the other one or even have a numbers up type of situation, which is more ideal in defending. You know, you usually want plus one in the back and that could help negate it. And then you can also counter because you've got an attacking midfielder playing underneath two forwards. Now you overload North Carolina's center backs because we know that North Carolina is going to want to send Hinkle and O'Reilly or Matthias or who's ever playing their forward and they're leaving Ursig and Dahlkemper back there by themselves. And when they do that, you have an opportunity. Now, again, you got to get past the sixes, but that's going to happen in transition on occasion. And you'd have the opportunity to get, create numbers up going the other way. But as it's set up now, you, you just, you, it, it's almost like what Rory said in the, in the media call midweek where like, even if you sit back, you just invite so much pressure. And you try to play him straight up, they, they kill you with their pace. So somebody needs to make an evolutionary leap if they're going to compete with this team. Chelsea, I can't see you, but I can tell that your wheels are spinning having listened to that. So what do you think? 
Oh, you expect me to follow that? (laughs) (laughs) So what he said? Yeah, but pretty much. Yeah, I I agree with what he said. But I just I would like to see someone someone take, you know, the five through two approach to them. I'm just it seems like no matter what approach you take to North Carolina, we've had we've seen teams have some success sitting in a low block, uh, but ultimately not. It didn't last for long. And then at the same time, maybe you can contain them, but you really think you're going to win a game against them beating in transition? Like, how many opportunities are you going to get? Not many. And maybe Chicago maybe set up well with someone like Sam Kerr and Yugen Arasato who can beat you in transition with two passes. Um, I'm not saying it's, it's a bad idea. I just I'd like to see it on the field because I feel like they would still eventually break you down. All right. But here's the, what I where I think you need to do even more than that. And I was going to ask Paul Riley about this in the post-game press conference, and he started his opening statement, went directly to this play. I think it was the 19th minute. Kerr had the ball. It was something like 1v4. No other Red Star was in like half a mile of Kerr for her to pass to. And here comes Lynn Williams in a full sprint, catches Kerr from behind, wins the ball, and starts a counterattack. That's the sort of thing that as good as you are or as great a formation as you have, You've also got to have players doing that because that play right there epitomized everything that team has done since Riley got there in 2016 in Western New York to have a forward who scores 12 goals in a play where there was probably like a less than 2% chance that Sam Kerr was even going to get a shot on frame in that sequence. But Williams still decided to sprint down the entire length of the field and pick Kerr's pocket from behind. And I mean, I think that's to me one of the more remarkable things about the courage is you can pull out Lynn Williams probably wouldn't have done that two years ago. I think you can look at nearly every player and like watch their evolution year after year under Paul Riley. And it's, it's amazing. It's the underdog mentality. Oh, is it? Is that what it is? Should I, should I show myself out? (laughs) You know, um, the other thing that Riley said was that when Dabinia showed up, she didn't want to defend. And he basically said, look, you're a great player, but you've got to defend. And I think that's why everybody thought she had such a great year and why she was an MVP finalist and why she was the MVP of this game today. Though I thought you could have named, I think almost everybody out there, you could have made a case for being the MVP. But the fact that he got Dabinia, and let's face it, the Brazilian culture does not, you know, the Brazilian soccer culture does not necessarily create naturally great defenders, especially players who don't play back there. So for him to get Dabinia to evolve from the player we saw at the 16 Olympics who could carve up opponents to the player we see now who can carve up opponents and disrupt the midfield with pressure, I think is unbelievable and a testament to the culture they have there. Another thing that I heard in the post-game mix zone from Heather O'Reilly, she was asked how the courage... um, culture compares to that of the national team and she said it's very comparable and that there's a little bit more camaraderie even on the courage because it's like seven straight months together as opposed to in and out of camp and then she reiterated that it was very similar and then looked like she was done and she said which is impressive by the way so I think that says a lot from someone who spent so much time on the national team uh, that you know, what they have, I mean, they really had, you know, I thought a few years ago when Seattle and FCKC were playing back-to-back finals, it was like the first time we had women's club soccer culture, but this courage thing is off the charts. 
it is. It's listen. That's it's it's unbelievable. It's and and honestly, and I didn't hear what she said in the mix zone today, but yesterday she said that the courage's culture was the most intense that she'd been in. Um, and this is a player who was forged in, in Anson Dorrance's UNC and the United States national team, who has a legendary culture, both of those programs. And, and for her to come in and say that the courage are even more intense, is it, it's crazy. And again, I don't think that she made or broke the team, but it's a pretty cool story even though it didn't come about for a very cool reason, which was Meredith Mathias tearing her ACL. But it's a pretty cool story that Heather O'Reilly went out of her career playing outside back for a team winning the NWSL championship. I mean, that, that's, that is really pretty cool. And for her to be able to have a 4 nothing lead and get taken off the field in the 87th minute, whenever it was, that uh, so many players probably dream of that, and very few players get that kind of send-off. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it got real dusty in, in my house somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was a pretty cool moment. Um, any other courage thoughts? I mean, almost, you know, it feels like they're too good to have, like, deep analysis of them. I mean, I've been debating on Twitter with uh, Jacqueline Purdy, who used to work at NWSL Media, about, you know, whether or not it was a good game, because I said that we haven't had a good final in several years, and I'll stand by my point. I, they're great. I didn't think it was a good game. Um, what do you guys think about that? Um, yeah, I, I, the last two years have obviously been been pretty one-sided I mean I think both times that the decision was it was decided pretty early on even maybe we couldn't exactly tell um certainly I think by halftime you, you kind of knew that what the outcome was going to be and that takes away some fun and then the less we say about the uh, 17 final the better um <laughs> as, as far as kind of what it where they're going to go what I'm really curious is we, we know the expansion's coming in 21 we're, we're pretty sure it's likely to come next year. There's talk of expansion. And like that seems to be the buzzword for the NWSL right now. Expansion, maybe multiple teams in the next three years. Um, so how, you know, he's obviously going to have to lose some of his roster. Um, eventually, player, there's going to be some players that are that are going to retire as well. So and even though most of the roster is fairly young, I want to see, you know, how he handles that. How does he adapt to losing? Um, some some key players because it's it's inevitable when you're having expansion you, you can't protect protect your entire roster. I so, think what I think what happens sometimes in these cases is that the culture can take care of itself. I think we see that like with the New England Patriots that they've got such a great culture that players go into that team that maybe wouldn't be as good, but they immediately get indoctrinated into that culture. So I think that actually gives them an advantage even as they have to flip the roster a little bit, that I think they're going to get players are going to be better for them than they would be elsewhere because they're going to get in there. And as long as they're on board with the culture, I think almost any player you bring in is going to improve from where they were before this. Yeah, and I think that Riley's done very well over the last several years, and certainly more so than when he was at Portland at picking players that he knows are going to fit in well to his system, draft and trades. All right, uh, so Courage win again. That is three out of four. And don't tell me that they were not the Courage in 2016. It's the same team. They've won three out of four NWSL championships, three straight shields, four straight finals. Red Stars, best season they've had so far, but it falls short. It falls painfully short, uh, and it falls short in a lot of different ways. We'll analyze that a little bit more when we come back on the Equalizer. 
Hey everyone, Jeff Kasouf here with some exciting news about the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. The Equalizer will once again be there on Podcast Row, bringing you exclusive podcast interviews with some of the best minds in the game. Registration is now open for the convention, and you can make your plans to join us in Baltimore from January 15th to the 19th for networking, coaching education, and licensing. And of course, there's the annual NWSL Draft, which you can come watch as a fan. We're at the convention every year, and honestly, it's the one week on the calendar annually where everyone who's anyone in U.S. soccer is truly in the same place at the same time. Register before December 11th for the best rates by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org and stop by Podcast Row to chat with your hosts from The Equalizer. That's unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org for more information. We'll see you in Baltimore. Episode 82, Segment 2, Equalizer Podcast, on the heels of the courage dismantling the Red Stars 4-0 to repeat as NWSL champions with John and Chelsea. I'm Dan with a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer Podcast. The more reviews and ratings that you give us on the positive side, the better content we can bring to you. So please rate and review the Equalizer Podcast today. And John, we're rating and reviewing the Chicago Red Stars but I do think we need to extract one player from today, and that's Julie Ertz. I saw Julie Ertz. Other, than, I know she collided with um, Nair on second goal, I think, third goal, right? The one that Dunn cleaned up. Yeah, third goal. But take that out, and I thought that third goal was the absolute killer. And Rory Dame said the same thing. I did think after one goal, but that third goal right before halftime was just horrible. I thought Julie Ertz played spectacular in this match today. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. And I think that the way that she cleaned up a lot of the messes and the intensity that she was playing with, I remember at one sequence where she was running stride for stride with Lynn Williams. The ball had been worked out wide and it looked like the courage were going to come down. I think at that point it was still one nothing, And just the determination um, to not only stay with Williams on that penetrating run, but then to win the service and clear the ball. You could just see that she wanted it very badly tonight. And, uh, you know, obviously she's the ultimate competitor. And for players like that to come up short, you, you just know how much it kills them. Chelsea? Yeah, I, I thought she had a really good game. Um, and, I, I, you know, I don't... I kind of put the collision with Nair maybe a little bit more on Nair. I didn't think Nair came off her long line very well in this game. And I think Ertz was just trying to do what she was supposed to be doing. Um, but no, I, I think she had a really good game. I think she's had a, a fantastic season. Um, it's it's a good time to be Julie Ertz, where, no matter who, what jersey she's in. Yeah, no doubt about that. And, and speaking of Nair, I didn't think Nair played that great either, but she did have a really good save. Soon after it was one nothing, or that game could have been two nothing think, in like fifteen minutes. I think she had two. Wasn't it two really good saves in between the first and the second goal, or at least one, the second and the third? Yeah, I agree. I was like, oh, that that could end up being like a game changer. Yeah, unfortunately, no dice for the Red Stars. Did anybody else stand out? I mean, I thought Short was average. You know, the midfield got overrun. I don't think you could say anybody played well. I will say that Sam Kerr, Kerr's one of those players, and I wrote about this a little bit. Uh, in the notebook on Sunday morning that comparing Kerr and Marta because Riley's now played against them both in finals and Zerboni has played with them both and, and against both. 
that Kerr needs more from her teammates, where Marta's more of a player that can go to the midfield stripe, get the ball, dance around eight players and score. So it's hard to judge Kerr's offense. She had the one header that she did not hit very well, but she cleared two or three corner kicks out with her head. She might be the shortest player out there. I thought Kerr, for being fairly invisible on the scoreboard, or totally invisible on the scoreboard, actually played an okay match overall. Like crazy? Probably. No, I mean, I think she was denied service for, for most of the game. She did have one where she kind of flashed it back across the goal. I don't remember what minute that was. Oh, uh, yes, yes, you're right. But it, that was probably, to me, the closest they ever got to scoring. Somebody could have just gotten a touch on that. Wasn't that uh, right before it went 3 nothing? Maybe. Yeah, but I think defensively she did well. Yeah, I think that she was getting herself in the right place. She did split the center backs at one point, which is something she's done to good effect against that team in prior games. I just wasn't quite there today. Um, other than that, standing out. I thought Nagasato had some some good balls. Um, they, I thought early on they were going to get some some success out of that matchup against O'Reilly because they were catching O'Reilly up the pitch, but they couldn't quite you know capitalize on it. And I thought Katie Johnson brought some some life to yeah. the Red Stars in the second half. That that may be a little bit by comparison because I thought McCaskill had a very poor first half. Yeah. But I think she, she at least brought some energy and was, was getting inside the box, which you can't say about many other players. John, anybody? That was just I, – I just want to follow, piggyback off of, of what Chelsea said, that uh, I, I 100% agree with the Katie Johnson that, uh, you know, both her and McCaskill, and obviously I don't think McCaskill had a, had a great game tonight. Um, both of those players, if, if you watch them – you know, over the course of a season, and, and we've obviously in Chicago got to watch them probably a little more intently than than most others, that they have special qualities that a lot of other players do not have. And I don't think that either of them had, you know, an outstanding season, but I think both of them have the potential to be outstanding players. And so those are two players that I would keep an eye on over the next year or two. And see, you know, uh, that's, I guess, assuming they stay in Chicago, you know, do they develop and do they find that next level? And I feel like it's kind I don't know if it's well known or just kind of well accepted that a lot of the players who came out of Sky Blue in the worst of those moments, like both of those players did, haven't have kind of had a stunted development uh, at this point and. We saw what McCaskill could do in the W League, and I think she's capable of doing that in the NWSL. I think she has dynamic abilities that a lot of other players don't inherently have, and I would say the same for Johnson. The one thing that I've seen from Johnson, you see just little flashes of it, is her ability to play with her back to pressure, to see space in ways and in situations when most players panic feeling that pressure in their back and, and her ability to distribute the ball in those situations, I think is, is one of those things, which is a special quality, you know, whether she can take that to the next level, whether she can, you know, heck McCaskill and Johnson might have to do that next season, because if, if Kerr does move on, then they have a monster hole to fill in the attack. Yeah. They need other people to score. goals. I think even if Kerr stays, they need to figure out other people to yeah. score goals. That's Chelsea, how, how bad did the, uh, Kerr McCaskill flare up look or play out on TV. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad because even Jen Hildreth and Allie Wagner picked up on it, and so then the camera went back and replayed it. Um, 
it, it looked pretty bad. I mean, yelling at each other is, is never going to really accomplish much. It's, it doesn't, McCaskill's body language wasn't great. She just basically blew her off, turned around. Um, it looked pretty bad, and then they highlighted it, and Ray showed it, and it looked pretty bad again. I don't think that was a great sign for, for the Red Stars going to be able to, to pull a win out at that point. And, and yeah, something that they, they may want to look back on and, and reconsider. Now, Rory Dame said that it wasn't uh, – Kerr wasn't upset with McCaskill. She was upset in general that the team wasn't playing higher up behind her, which is probably valid. Because that was the same thing that happened in that Lynn Williams play I mentioned, that there was nobody for Kerr to even remotely consider passing the ball to. And he said when they got in the locker room, by the time he got in the locker room, they were already um, at a whiteboard hashing out whatever had happened and trying to fix it, which I actually kind of chuckled up to myself because he then promptly took McCaskill out, which was probably the right (laughs) thing to do. (laughs) But, um, you know, I I mean, obviously frustration is going to uh, rear its head. The other thing that is unusual, and I don't like to make weather an issue, but I was in town since Thursday, and the humidity, like, tripled on Sunday. I'm guessing this was not the easiest game to play in. Just from a standpoint of where the heck did this weather come from? Like, we went from thinking it was going to be a rainstorm and a delay to this intense humidity. I mean, they actually had hydration breaks. And, you know, the last weekend in October, we're taking hydration breaks. I don't know if that was a factor or not. Uh, but, John, I'm not – I mean, it was warm out there, right? It was, and I think – when you, when we talk about acclim, uh, you know, uh, I'm gonna struggle to say this word. Acclimated. Acc- yeah, that that if you live in Chicago, it has been cold now for about a month. You know, when the heat broke, and so the players are not training day to day in a situation where they would have been even remotely prepared for for it popping up. And it was it was not expected, right? It was supposed to be in the mid seventies today, but it was supposed to be cloudy and rainy. And instead it stopped raining a couple hours before the game. Then the sun came out and it started burning all that humidity out of the ground and coming up through the air. And it was very, very warm, um, unexpectedly, as you said, warm. And, uh, I'm sure that that was a factor. I don't know how much, um, I can also tell you that there were some of the Chicago players who struggled with some of the the pyrotechnics at at different points. I think uh, Casey Short remarked after the game that she was even having uh, uh, asthma problems at one point when we saw her squatting down for an extended period of time. Meaning from the smoke from the pyrotechnics as opposed to the noise? Correct. So I think, you know, when you combine some of those environmental factors, and again, listen, this isn't to make an excuse. They got played off the field and North Carolina is fantastic and I don't want to take one iota of credit away from them. But, uh, you know, there were some extraneous factors that probably made Chicago play a little worse than, than they would have in, in a different situation. Right. And the humidity was sudden. I, you know, Neil Morris, who uh, is a sometimes equalizer and lives in the area, said it hasn't been this humid in a couple of weeks, even in North Carolina. Um, but let me ask you this, John. Is Rory Dames the guy who is going to – um, maybe transition to what you talked about. Let me build my team to beat North Carolina. You think he's? You think there's a chance he does it? Uh, maybe. You know, like I said, we you know we heard through the grapevine that he was going to try something radical for tonight. But again, I think it needs to be a season-long process. We saw in 2016 when yep, he started 16. the season in the three-back. Oh, I was going to um, say Cabrera went to three-five-two in the 16th oh, no, no, no. final. He, Correct. And actually, it was funny because we 
Chelsea and I talked about that, I think, last week um, or midweek a little bit about how that, you know, had worked. But that was a different courage, obviously, literally the flash um, at that point team. I think that Dames could do it. It I don't know. It's just this is what I was talking about in the piece today. Like, I it, listen, I understand why people give Riley grief. The underdog stuff is laughable. It works, so I mean, it, well, okay, laugh but, if you but, want, but it works. But but he took a tactical quantum leap forward, and no one has followed him, and no one has a- adapted. And it, assuming this team doesn't get absolutely dismantled in expansion or, or injuries or people heading abroad, nobody's going to stop him next year. And he said this a couple of years ago when he talked about how the core of his team was in their mid twenties. Like this isn't an old team. This isn't, you know, you look at like a team like Portland and you have Sinclair and Heath and some players who maybe are getting a little older and they might not be able to keep that. That's not the case with this team. This is a team that for the most part is in their mid twenties. They're in a good environment. They're playing a formation and a style that no one can seem to stop. They have physical and technical gifts that no one else can match. I, 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 it's just going to take something really, really special. And I rate Dames very highly as a coach, but it might be asking something that nobody is, is capable right, of Chelsea, at this point. Chelsea, is it easier for Dames or Parsons to do this, or would it, will it be easier for Mark Skinner or the new Sky Blue coach to do it? Because you're not risking something that's pretty good that could turn into a disaster you're saying our team needs to be built up from scratch and i'm going to build it to either beat the courage or be the next evolution in the tactics um hmm, that's interesting i think right now on october 27th i have to say it's easier for maybe someone like chicago because they have better players overall you know if sky blue and, and orlando can draft well pull it you know basically go back to the Western New York Clash four years ago and um, and do what, what Riley did there, maybe, but they don't have the personnel to adapt to, to that sort of. So I think that between Portland and Chicago, I'll give Chicago a better chance. I think that they have the personnel to, to do something a little bit differently than what they've been doing, even though they've been doing very well. And I think that they're, they're smart enough to know if it's not working at, to know when to, to pull the, 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 what's the word? Plug. To pull the plug, exactly. Thank you. I'm here for both of you guys tonight. <laughs> um, all right, p- parting thoughts on Chicago, and I'll give mine. I hope people realize how good they were during the season, even though a little inconsistent at times. I hope it's not Sam Kerr's last game in the league, but my gut feeling and from what I'm hearing is that it is, and I do think that he'll have to be creative. And he, Look, he's got four first-round picks coming up. You know, there were some players that went out. You know, the ACLs probably won't be back right away. Moths and Vasconcelos. Aaron Wright is pregnant, so she'll be out for at least a good portion of the season, if not all of it next year. Um, you know, who knows how bad. You know, Davidson was in a boot, as was Crystal Dunn, by the way, after the game, but said she was fine. Um, I, you know, I, I think he's going to have a lot of maneuvering to do, but he's got four first-round picks. Nobody has maneuvered the draft as well as he has but I just hope people don't remember the Red Star season for this game, even though I understand it'll be hard not to. 
Anybody jump in? Yeah, I, I think this is the best Red Stars team we've ever seen. I think there, there are some ways they can improve. And obviously right now it's going to be hard for them to, for it to get perspective and look back on this season's and look past this game. But they got over that semifinal hurdle, and that's step one to, to winning a championship. Um, they're they're better than they've ever been. And, yeah, losing Kerr, which I agree with you, is likely to happen. is, is going to be a blow. But I don't know. I've always kind of wondered – what Chicago would be if they didn't have just this one star striker because before Sam Kerr, it was Kristen press. And I would like them to spread the wealth a little bit and have like a tag team of Lynn Williams and Jess McDonald. You have that dual threat because even if Kerr's not scoring, she's involved in the scoring. And I would like to see them be more dangerous without, you know, even if they lose one or two players for international duty or whatever, they're still able to be that threat. And that's the one thing we didn't see from them this season. John, let me ask you this. McCaskill and Johnson, I agree with what you said about them earlier. I did get someone on Twitter telling me Johnson should have started, which is easy to say when McCaskill played like she did, but I don't think Johnson has done anything this season to tell me that she deserves to start in the final. But how much can you depend on those two going into next season? Because maybe they can be your two strikers and they can spread it around, but it seems to me that's a risky proposition based on how much work they have to do to get from where they are now to get to where they need to be. I agree. But at the and and I also agree with what Chelsea was saying is like, it would be interesting to see what this Chicago team would be like if they weren't over reliant on one player. But you tell me with every resource Dames has with the strong core that he has with, I think four first round draft picks that they have right now. Tell me, a player who is gettable who can replace Sam Kerr. Well, nobody can replace Sam Kerr. So that's what I'm saying. You see what I'm saying? Like we can, we can talk about this in a theoretical way, but you almost have to kind of completely rethink your attack anyway, because you can't like there's Sam Kerr and maybe Hegerberg and press and maybe Morgan if she wasn't right. But like, we're talking about what five, six players in the world, and some of those players are not gettable. And you you have a court that you can trade. You have amazing draft picks you can trade, but you're trying to obtain something that's not possible. So they have to think about how they want to use those resources to almost money ball situation where like you know what you're losing. You're lo- you have 18 goals walking out the door. You've got to replace 18 goals, but you're never going to be able to do that with one player. So you've got to either pick up 18 goals or improve your your defense in a way that minimizes goals of opponents. But you have to kind of patchwork this together because I don't think there's there's not a like for like replacement. And to, again, go back to Chelsea's point, it might be better if there's not. Um, I certainly hope that we see Sam Kerr back. Uh, If anybody's wondering, she did. Uh, by all accounts, kind of zip through the mix zone without speaking. So if she did speak to someone and quotes appear, I apologize and great for whoever got them. But I believe uh, that she didn't speak and we don't really think she would have said anything anyway about her future. But it will be a very, very interesting offseason. I think the most interest right now for me is in Chicago with the Kerr situation and the four first round picks. We will come back. We may or may not have some listener questions, but we do have a new head coach heading into the U.S. national team on this very busy week. You're listening to the Equalizer podcast. 
third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast, and it is time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. You can check out their ever-growing set of women's soccer stats at fbref.com. That's FB like football, ref.com. And how about all-time leading goal scorers in NWSL championship play? Because we got two players Got to three goals, Jess McDonald and Crystal Dunn, and they tie Amy Rodriguez. They've all scored three goals in NWSL championship play. And all three, by the way, have a multi-goal game and then a one-goal game. And the only player among that group to score and not win was Dunn with the 2016 Spirit against the Flash. That game was penalties after a 2-2 draw. So Dunn and McDonald today Ty Amy Rodriguez with three goals. It's only been seven years in, but uh, I'm sure those numbers will grow. But that is your Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, and it is brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check them out at fbref.com. All right, we've got some questions, and we've got a brand-new head coach, which is Vlatko Andonovsky. Uh, we also had news this week that Alex Morgan is expecting her first child in April, so she will be out for a good bit. Um, but has kind of floated through channels that she would like to be at the Olympics. Um, we'll save that for another time. Uh, but, you know, real quick, I don't think we need to do a whole lot of analysis. Um, I'll give you mine first. I think Vladko Andonovsky is the best coach for the job tactically. I think he's the best coach for the job in terms of player identification. I think the only thing that could trip him up is if there's any issues with playing the U.S. soccer politics game. And someone even suggested, like, what is Vladko going to say? when it's July 1st and U.S. soccer says you better put Alex Morgan on this roster, even though she hasn't played a game yet. Um, so, yeah, otherwise, I think it's great. And I think it could be a very good thing to have a coach that had league experience and is kind of sympathetic to the issues uh, that are in the league right now. Chelsea, what do you think of Vlaco? I think, yeah, I think he's the best coach of, of the ones in the league. And so I, I'm glad that it ended up being him. I agree with the politics thing. And I think, unfortunately, he got thrown the curveball right away with the Alex Morgan situation because that is going to put him in a very odd odd place to be come next summer. Um, but he's already showing that he's going to kind of mix things up. He's calling, you know, we it's been reported by, I think, Grant Wall that he's going to call Alana Cook into the next camp who just got, you know, her last – bit of international play was with uh, getting called into England's camp. So there's, there may be a little bit of a turf battle there. Um, and then he's holding, you know, supposedly going to be holding a, an identification camp in December without any of the U S women's national team regulars, which I like uh, for multiple reasons that, that, that he's not going to put another game on these, these people who have way too much games on their legs, but he's also, I mean, that's, that's going to make some of those veterans nervous and, and then they should be. So, yeah, I, I like, I like the pick so far. John, what do you got? Did we lose John? I think He's, we have. Nope. Nope, there he is. Really he doesn't out. like that. I'm here. here. Oh. <laughs> it's been a long weekend. You could have dozed on us. No, I hit the mute button for a quick second, then forgot to turn it off. Um, no, I think he's the consensus pick, and I think that. Uh, you know, the tricky. He's got two. I think he's got two tricky parts. One is that. You have the Olympics coming up in 11 months, I guess, maybe 10 months. Yeah, 10. I and think. that's right. So you don't get the kind of cycle 
that uh, at least that Ellis had the second time around where you get to try different experiments and move the pool around and see what's what. He's got to be able to step in and win right away because if he doesn't, then do they keep him for the World Cup cycle? So if, if the U.S. goes in and, and takes silver or gets knocked out in the quarterfinals like 2016, do they give him an opportunity? And the other thing is, is he is going to have to be, you know, everybody loves Blacko, right? And all the players that play for him. But he's going to step into a team that is so deep that stars don't start. And when stars don't start, they get frustrated. And how those players react, how he handles those situations is obviously key. Because the one thing that I think you have to give Ellis credit for, even if you don't appreciate some of her rosters or uh, formations or tactical decisions is that she was able to keep the locker room um, together, whether that was together against her or, (laughs) you know, together with her or together amongst themselves. Um, She was able to manage a group of 23 players, some of whom have some very large, uh, you know, expectations for themselves and, and, uh, and win two world championships. And, that's a massive part of this job is being able to get these players who have a lot of different dynamic and big personalities to play for each other, to play for the team, to accept roles that they might not be happy with. Yeah, that's well said. And it's, it's certainly not easy to navigate. But doesn't U.S. soccer have to realize how difficult the World Cup Olympic turnaround is? With I would a new think coach so. Especially? And with him being kind of the guy, you know, almost like universally accepted, he probably has a little bit more leeway to go into the Olympics and and maybe not lay an egg, but underperform or perform or less than a gold medal, let's say. Yeah, I, I also think there's a big difference between going out in the quarterfinals and winning the silver medal. You know, like you do better than Rio, you're probably okay. Even I think if you it don't de- win the whole thing. I think it depends how you do it too, because in that sixteen you had Rapino coming in her first match and tearing a race yell, and then she couldn't make it to 120. So they wound up with Tobin Heath at outside back, and they, you know, Sweden bunker and all this. I think you can like lose straight up to Germany or France. Well, neither one of them are going to be there. But so I mean, maybe there's more pressure than I was originally thinking. But I think you can lose straight up to another good team, even in the quarters, and it would it shouldn't be considered as bad, maybe as as Rio was. I think Rio is a low point. In the Rio history was, of the team, just because of how it went down. Not that they lost. Like, they're going to lose again at some point in the quarters. Right, yeah. Let's, let's do some questions. I think we'll get to some of the other Vlaco points in the Q&A, and we can see if we have time to go back to some Vlaco talk. Um, Andrew Oti, if Vlaco is indeed named as Ellis's successor, are there players we should expect to see more or less of on the U.S. based on his relationships with them in the NWSL? And it says E.G. Murphy, you know, Casey Murphy. I don't re- I don't know. I mean, you know, if you know a player, you're going to lean that way. But I think Blacko Andonovsky is built on identifying players. You know, I'm sure it'll help. Like, I'm sure, like, Murphy and Balser, who I believe, by the way, a little breaking news, I think Balser's in that December camp. Um, you know, obviously, if you know them, it's a little bit better. But I don't think he's going to shy away from going all over the map. I think it's normal for any coach going from club to, to country to at least initially lean towards the players they they are a little bit more familiar with. I think that's an also though an easy way to get a group of players annoyed with you if if you 
if you show early favoritism. So yeah, see the uh, U.S. Men's National Team. <laughs> Andrew Bridges, not a question, but it compliments me, so I'm going to read it. Uh, look, people may be annoyed by the underdog thing, but as Dan said on the pod, oh. North Carolina Courage have not lacked for motivation in a single game in franchise history. Chelsea, uh, obviously you have something to add here. No, I just, they were very wise words, and I'm glad that people have picked up on it and are spreading it across social media. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Bill, you know what, let's go to Eliana Gudima, and again, hopefully I'm getting the pronunciations right here. Will expansion help to break up the ridiculousness that is North Carolina? When will we know allocated players for next season? Answer to the second part is probably not until January, and I don't think teams do a lot of building based on that because it's hard to know, especially with a new coach. Then again, maybe Vlaco do things differently. Chelsea, you can talk on this because I think you're more on board with North Carolina being ridiculous. I don't mind it. I want a better final than we got at 4 nothing, but I don't have any issue with North Carolina rolling up the rest of the league. They're fun to watch. Uh, they're entertaining. They're fairly pleasant to be around. I've got, you know, I mean, yeah, go get them if you can, but I've got no problem with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I don't think somebody should, like, take a hammer to them just to, for the sake <laughs> of parity. I just want a little bit more, a little bit more excitement. Yeah, I think they deserve everything. They've earned everything that they've gotten. Uh, they deserve every accolade that they've they've gotten. They've put in the work, you know, both the staff and the players. I don't have an issue with it, but um, yeah, I, I think expansion's gonna. I, you know, I talked about that earlier. I think it's gonna take a little bit of a hit, but I think that that Riley has shown his ability to build a roster, and maybe from he he doesn't really go for those those big name star players, and I think that's part of his success. John, uh, yay or nay on how good North Carolina has been here? Absolutely. I mean, how could you even? I don't know. What's what's the what's the counter argument? Uh, I'm I'm with you on that. I don't, I don't <laughs> think the only counter argument is if you root for another team, and <laughs> yeah, you're, and yeah. and you can't and you can't get by them. But I don't have a right. counter argument for that at all. I think it's wonderful. And you know what? If five teams win over the next five years, that's great too. Yeah. Uh, Bill Blatchley, can we get a rundown of the non-NWSL names we might see in the Vlaco era? I think this is probably worth a whole separate off-season pod at some point, but names I'll throw out there that I would like to see. Uh, maybe Aubrey Bledsoe should get a camp. Um, you know, Balser maybe, but I think we may be talking up Balser a little bit too much because, she, like, if Balser had gone to North Carolina, would we be talking about her for a national team camp? I don't know yet. Uh, I'd like to see Ashley Hatch get a shot. Yeah. Anyone else to, to throw in? I think in? the the one, uh, if I could throw in a dark horse that I think has a real chance, uh, maybe an outside real chance, like a dark horse, um, is Amy Rodriguez. That's interesting. She's I, got I experience know. with Vlatko and with Morgan probably out. The U.S. is going to be searching for a nine, which I think should be Carly Lloyd. I know that's a, a little bit of a controversial pick, um, but you're going to need a backup, too. Interesting. I'm not sure I think Rodriguez is still good enough. Well, it's her, Williams, or McDonald, right? I mean, it's got to be in terms of if you're picking somebody for that for that spot at this point. Then you get the sense that Vlatko could bring in Lynn Williams and all of a sudden she'll score on like 70% of her chances. <laughs> yeah, inside the maybe. 18. Maybe. Chelsea, anyone you're dying to see on the on the national team? I don't feel like there's a lot of players knocking on the door. The team's deep, but deep within a very confined group. Yeah, I mean, not not a whole lot more than, than anyone we've tossed around. I, I'd kind of like to see what a year in France has done for, or I'm sorry, a year in uh, Sweden, I believe, has done for Haley Mace. 
Um, so if, if that's done her well, I think she's got the potential to come back in. But yeah, I think you know, you're trimming a roster right now. You're not really building, you're filling some spaces. Obviously you want to get the best there, whether or not they're at the world cup, but yeah, I don't, uh, I can't really think of a whole many more. All right, Janine, after today, anyway, Morgan Bryan will be on the Olympic roster. I don't think today has any bearing whatsoever. I think she's got a fair to middling chance, not outstanding, but as a, yeah, she could be that. I don't think today matters. Melanie Marks, which USWNT players does each team protect? Should expansion happen? If you're the new team, who do you poach? Melanie, I promise we will do a full pod on this topic, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, this time, Larry went to which, um, which pl- what player or players could Courage lose if Latko changes up the U.S. players allocated in NWSL? You don't lose players if, the, if they change contract status, uh, but you have to make certain offers if a player comes off contract. I don't see any of their four coming off contract, but I do think they'll lose. Well, if there's expansion, they're going to lose Abby Dahlkemper. Is there any other scenario there because you're going to protect Dunn, you're going to protect Mewis, and that leaves Dahlkemper and Zerboni. No one's taking Zerboni. I think you lose. I think that's basically it. You lose Dahlkemper. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know what, what would be maybe a potential way around that, though, is letting a player go overseas for a year like Dunn did or like, you know, uh, Morgan did and keeping their rights for the league. Fascinating. So, John, trying to game the system on us. But they don't they don't keep their rights any longer, do they? Well, that's that's draft picks, though. I think they keep the others. I mean, Chicago kept Morgan Bryan's rights when she went to Lyon, and I know that uh, North Carolina had to trade for Dunn's rights when she came back. So I don't know if there's a limit on that. I guess it depends on if they go for an entire season or not. Uh, That could be. You know, there was a um, there was a an event run by Jen Cooper and uh, John. I think you were there for this part where. Uh, Rebecca Moros was talking a little bit about her career and about how she got into NWSL. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny because she had no idea what the rules were. She said, yeah. so my um, signed contract. I, yeah, I kind of got to Seattle by some discovery thing. And then I was somehow traded to Portland before I ever knew about it. It's just so funny. The players are as clueless as we are about how this stuff works. Yeah. All right, Larry, again, what's the likelihood of bench players for the Courage like Roquero, Hamilton, Matthias leaving for regular starting minutes at another team? Uh, uh, Matthias, none, because she tore her ACL, so I don't see why uh, she would leave. Uh, Hamilton is an interesting call because she'll have value. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a tough one. I don't know what you do with her. I don't know that Roquero at this point is a player that I would say would go somewhere else to start. But maybe if they lose some players, she gets more minutes. You know, she got in, she replaced O'Reilly, which is probably a nice throw for her in this one. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Any, what do you got? Anybody? I mean, the Curves certainly have assets to play with. But I don't know if any of those yeah, players. Yeah, I think Hamilton's. Ham- what? No, Hamilton. What? Yeah, I was. I think. I think Hamilton's got really good trade value right now. I, I don't see that she would want to leave. Maybe she's not starting regularly, but she is. You, know, you look at next season, there's going to be the Olympics. They're going to lose players. It's going to be like this year when she gets a more of an extended run. Um, and, you know, you have to question, you know, how many more seasons Jess McDonald's going to play. Um, and she's just not one of those players that's in her mid-20s. She has a child. I think that, you know, if, if you're keeping Got a long-term eye. Yeah, I think if you're keeping a long-term eye on there, you know, there, there may be a spot for Hamilton down the road, but she's in a good place. And I think that 
Paul Riley and the, the way he plays his team has kind of made Kristen Hamilton. So she has trade value. I just, I don't know. I don't see that her leaving. Um, I was sniffing around this week to see if people thought McDonald was going to, this was going to be it. But everybody locally seems to think she'll be back, at least for the courage, even if she doesn't play on the U.S. next year. Uh, Eliana, again, the commentators talking about bringing in marquee players to the NWSL beyond U.S. and Australia. Who would be your top picks if money weren't an issue and what teams would you want them to go to? Easy for me, Ada Hegerberg and I don't know where, anywhere, anywhere, really. I know Chelsea's got a different answer than Hegerberg, so let's hear it. Yeah, I think I would take uh, Miedema. And again, I, the team doesn't matter. You just want to see these players week in and week out. Uh, Miedema and Marajan, I, w- I would love, I would give my salary to see them play here every week. <laughs> anyway. Can I, can I report that to the league office as when, they're, when they're figuring out the new compensation package that the salary um, is available? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. John, who do you want to see? Ellen White. Interesting and definitive. Yeah, she. I like that. God, I yeah, enjoyed watching her so much in the World Cup. I would love to see her in a an few NWSL years, environment. A few years ago, I would have said Wendy Renard, but I, I'm not sure I feel that way anymore. I think her best days might be behind her, at this point. Yeah. All right. Um, parting shots. NWSL season is over. There's obviously a lot going on. Uh, Vladko Andonovsky will get announced on Monday in New York City. Um, Chelsea, any final thoughts on the season that was or what's ahead? Yeah, I mean, I've gone on record a lot by saying it was a little bit disappointing kind of see the same playoff teams, the same Shield winner, the same championship winner. And, you know, I I stand by that, but I don't want anyone to think that I don't enjoy watching the NWSL or that, you know, I I don't think these teams deserve what they're getting. So I just want to be very very clear on that that I, I still enjoy it even if sometimes the outcome feels inevitable kind of like Thanos uh it's still fun to get there John final thoughts I'd, on this yeah I'd, I'd like to say I'm going to take a nap and some rest but I know that one this off season is going to be wild plus we have the announcement of a new national team coach tomorrow so uh, we got a lot of work to do still it's going to be I a asked, while till it cools off I, I asked Heather O'Reilly at media day I said this seemed like an un, like a particularly weird season um, you know, what did you think of it as a player? And she said, just out of curiosity, you know, why do you think it was weird? And I said, you know, well, there's no communications director for the league, which has, yeah. there is one now, but it's another story for another time. You know, and, you know, a lot of questions couldn't get answered this year and whether there's going to be expansion or not and whatnot. And she said, interesting, because as players, like every year has been really weird for us. So, you know, if you read the Grant Wall piece in Sports Illustrated, it painted a very rosy picture of the future. I really hope it's more that than some of the other things that it feels like when there is no communications director, when you are not finding out what's happening on championship weekend until the Tuesday of. Um, so, you know, I hope for the best, you know, but the, the courage are unbelievable. Hate them if you want, because they're good. And if you're a fan of another team, I get it. They're unbelievable. All right, Chelsea and John, the Equalizer, the Equalizer podcast won't rest. We'll be back next week. And uh, that's going to do it, though, for the 2019 NWSL season. You've been listening to the Equalizer podcast.